What is politics about? MAGA Republicans believe it is all about chaos, owning the libs, white grievance and anger. That's wrong. Governing is about making our lives better. In just one piece of legislation, Democratic senators took action to lower prescription drug prices, giving Medicare the ability to negotiate with Big Pharma, shifted tax burden from the middle class to the very wealthy, protected our future with the most sweeping climate change action in U.S. history. What do you want? Anger or results? Tim, go ahead. Yeah, um, I agree with the other people that have been saying here that uh, I don't think it's terribly helpful to go too much into the biblical stuff. I absolutely respect your attachment to the biblical texts and the stories. Uh, I think there's good evidence to think that a lot of them are not even true, but it's not the truth. It's the meaning of them that counts to those who attach meaning to it. I really appreciated Dom Jones' uh, comments, and I thought she struck just the right balance. Um you know, she appears to be a person of faith, as they put it, but um, not not pushy, and uh, I really uh, appreciated that. I am actually uh, the leader, and uh, Don, who was uh, on earlier, is a member of uh, the North Texas Church of Freethought here in uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. We are a non-supernaturalist uh, church, so that's where we're coming from. Uh, I don't know any of us that are uh, not uh, for abortion rights. Um I think that, um, you know, what the Supreme Court's done is very scary. And if you read the decision, the opinion, as I have the majority, there's a lot of things that are said and unsaid. I think this is part of a long-term project to do a lot of damage to our country. Uh, this is not something that was just written in a few months uh, since it was leaked or for a couple of months before it was leaked. There's a lot of stuff there that clearly is, uh, is in the works. Roe originally had uh, a passage where it said that uh, the people, Blackman and, and the others who agreed with them in that opinion said that uh, they're not persuaded that life begins any time before actual birth and that the Constitution and other laws always uh, made people's rights begin at birth. Um, absent other things like, I mean, obviously, if a woman is pregnant and um, the uh, partner dies before she gives birth, why the child that to, to which she gives birth should have inheritance rights and things like that. So this is a real miscarriage of justice because the majority in Dobbs did not even follow their own argument in terms of uh, history and tradition and so forth. Not to mention the fact that, as Dom said, it's really a violation of state church separation in as much as they're drawing on things from the 14th, 15th, 16th century. I mean, we're talking about people who were just soaked in the kind of Christianity that everybody accepted then, but that would be considered not even fundamentalist today. I mean, they were hanging, burning witches and, and all this sort of thing. I, I thought for sure when that draft opinion came out that the reference to uh, Sir Matthew uh, Hale would be removed because it was so embarrassing that the guy had convicted and sent to their deaths women convicted of witchcraft. It was still there when the final opinion came out. To me, that was just amazing. Um, so I think we need to find common cause by talking about freedom, about uh, if God gave people free will, then why wouldn't he intend for them to use it? I don't believe free will comes from people. Uh, I did put up a link to uh, one of our church presentations having to do with free will for anybody who wants to see another perspective. We're not trying to proselytize, but 
there are different ways of looking at all these things. And as Dom said, if we're going to exist in a civil society, we have to allow for other people to have their opinions and have their practices and to change those opinions and practices if they choose, because none of us are one thing forever and ever. Um, so that's basically what I have to say. And I really hope that, uh, you know, th this could be the beginning, or at least we can uh, set the example for people to band together for letting people make their own decisions. And uh, as I said earlier, too, I'm a practicing OBGYN, and I'll be glad to talk about it. I have lots of stories as to uh, why regular restrictions and prohibitions on abortion are stupid and are going to hurt women. And I think it's stories like that. To me, that's the kind of thing, not Bible stories, that's going to convince people and get them to start thinking, oh, yeah, I guess that could happen. Uh, that's not good. How are we going to change the law to accommodate that? And it will ultimately be the uh, the threads that when you start pulling on them will cause the whole anti-abortion prohibition from the moment of fertilization to fall apart. But it may take a long time. Dom, I was going to ask you too, really, you mentioned uh, expanding the Supreme Court. Somebody else talked about that. Since the, since the Supreme Court justices are not elected, isn't that really the only way that we're going to be able to get by this? And wouldn't the goal be to get that happening as soon as possible? Because we can't let 50 years go by before you get a Supreme Court that is going to go back and reinstate Roe. It needs to be done as soon as possible and to style it as, hey, this was a complete miscarriage of justice and to have a good opinion that points out how deeply rooted what they have ruled is in theology and things that might not appear to be theological, that appear to be historical, but in fact are theological because it's based on, you know, 14th, 15th century uh, England uh, steeped in Christianity. I um, wanted to go ahead, Tom. Well, I, I just wanted to, wanted to say that, um, you know, this is certainly people can believe in the supernatural or not believe in the supernatural. This should have nothing to do with that. It should have nothing to do with whether people believe in the supernatural or not. We can't make Christians the enemy. We can't make the supernatural the enemy. We can't make religion the enemy. That would be a mistake. Go ahead, Dom. Um, yeah, no, I, Richard, I agree with you. We can't make anyone the enemy. And Tim, thank you so much for your work, honestly, first off, as an OBGYN, because that is a very important work that you are doing. So I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart where you are in Texas for what you're doing. It's valuable to women and the way you are approaching it, you're not just clearly working with the uh, uh, women in the hospital, in your office, but you're also in the background doing the good work and being on these kinds of discussions, which is so important. So thank you for that. And Richard's point is correct that, you know, uh, people are going to believe in, have these ideas about their religion. They're going to be Christian and it's going to influence their, uh, the way they look at their politics. But here's, here's the point that I really would hope that we can all take away from this. And maybe this can, can create something further in our hearts moving forward is that, yes, let's say, for example, I am someone, this is a hypothetical, I'm a Christian, I believe that these things are wrong, and I choose not to do it, and I choose to tell my friends and teach maybe my own children not to do it. That's my decision, and it influences my politics, that's fine. The discussion at hand here, and again to Tim's point in the Supreme Court, what they've chosen to do is, we are a nation of over 330 million people. And we're talking about Christianity and Catholicism, but there's so many other religions that we're not pinpointing, right? Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, all kinds of other practices, new age faiths and beliefs, this, everything under the sun. Here's the point. This is America. We are the great experiment. We are the great experiment of the, of the world. 
Can we, of different shades and ethnicities and races, can we, of different principles, of different beliefs, and of different religious ideologies, coexist in unity? That is the question that is clashing us against one another today in the streets. That is the question that we are seeking to find the truth to. And as it relates to the Supreme Court, Tim, absolutely, we do, in fact, if we are going to balance things out, again, for freedoms for all, it's going to have to be a situation of packing the court as, you know, as salacious as that may sound right now in politics, to balance things out so that our democracy is not leaning in one way or another. And to Richard Proceda's point, because I absolutely appreciate what Richard brought out with us, and it was needed to say, Richard, we want to make sure that we do not demonize conservatives. We do not demonize people who do believe heartily in Christ Jesus, and their take is abortion is evil. That's okay. This is the point, everyone. It's okay if someone thinks it's it's wrong. That's that's their prerogative. And it's okay if someone thinks it's not. We need to learn that we have limits and we do not get to intercede into the space of one another's thoughts and tell each other how to live. And our government should not be doing that. Flat. That's all. And I want I could not agree more, and I will just uh, add that I think part of the problem is that there's really an asymmetry. The people who are so morally opposed, uh, the anti-abortion zealots, uh, they do not really appreciate the point of view that says, no, a fertilized egg is not a human being. I mean, look at Mississippi. I mean, that uh, proposition they had on the ballot went down like 53 to 47. I mean, it was a, you know, not an overwhelming, but it certainly was a huge majority that uh, voted that down. So obviously they gave that up and decided to push. They're going to do it through the Supreme Court because that's how you can get things done without having to to win elections. But I think that for years and years and years that people uh, have just had to listen to this uh, fertilized eggs are people type stuff. And there's been just no pushback on the part of wiser heads because they were trusting that Roe would protect us. And uh, I mean, that's that's reflected by the fact that the Democrats uh, when they had the chance, never codified role. They had almost 50 years to do it. And they just figured they were just, you know, content and uh, complacent in the idea that role was always going to be there. But we had people working behind the scenes to make sure that it was not going to be there. And now we find ourselves where we're at. And so now is the time we have to start pushing back and start calling people to account, especially I think some of these religious people that want to reduce humanity to chromosomes uh, and we see this with the, with the LGBTs as well, uh, with their hatred against those groups. You know, they're trying to reduce people to chromosomes, genetics, protoplasm. I mean, how is that spiritual? I mean, if you've ever raised children, you know that, I mean, if you gave birth to an infant and took it into the pediatrician after a few weeks and said, hey, this kid has not seemed to be developing. And they took a look and said, yeah, this kid's got a rare disorder. They're always going to be a newborn. You will always have to get up at 2 a.m. for feedings. How many people would be happy with that? How many people would just, how many people would not turn that kind of kid into an institution because it was never going to be a person? Fortunately, we don't have to deal with that. But, uh, you know, these kinds of thought experiments, like the thought experiment of the, uh, the violinist, you know, the world famous violinist, uh, do, does everybody know about that? I mean, these are, a lot of thought has gone into this whole question of abortion. And unfortunately, the public really doesn't know mo- most of it. And the pro-lifers, don't either. All they know is their abortion is murder. And one of the problems that 
I think is I'm not seeing any solutions other than to fight for democracy, because I think when we have a real democracy and we have a flawed democracy now that really reflects the will of the people, we will have, we'll be able to solve these problems, but we are in a bad way right now. And I'm not really seeing any other way except talking to people um, and trying to obviously trying to win elections, but I'm, I'm, not seeing a lot of solutions out there. Richard, I want to, I want to, I want to address that really quickly before, and I know guys, we've been on for a little bit. It's Sunday. Thank you for spending your Sunday. I know I have things happening after this, but we're all here for an important call. So let's just finish this conversation together because this is, we're getting to something good here. And here's what it is to Richard's point. I know Richard, we can get despondent. We can feel like we're the solutions. Please listen to what I'm telling you because I'm telling you I'm in my community as a black woman in Huntington Beach. It is not easy. I have a business and I, I, I work very hard to try to connect us and bring us together in unity across our own beliefs. I have people who attend my studio who have made, make believe, you know, abortion is, you know, wrong but they still come, they support, they, we all care about each other because we're human. So I want to say this, Richard, here's the, here is a solution. And I know it might seem like, oh, that's not good enough. We need to start somewhere. So this is what I'm going to say to you all. Right now, this discussion we are having is the beginning. Richard, what you have put together with Truth and Democracy Coalition is beautiful. And I honor you, my brother, in your fight that you are doing. I love you so much, Richard. What we are all doing right now, this is the beginning. That's one. Two, Richard said, getting people elected who truly believe in what we believe in, who we know we can feel them. We can feel their heart. And we know that they are in harmony with us and we will hold them to account. That's something that I am looking into as a possible run for Congress in 2024. Different discussion. But I'm telling you right now, we get to work together. So that's the second part. The other part is this. It's a movement. It's a movement, Richard. We are creating a movement. Movements change the world. Do you see what happened in Sri Lanka where they want their president to step down and the way they all protested and galvanized around the presidential palace? I said, America knows nothing about protests, my word. I mean, it was it was a sea of human beings as far as the eye could see. They were saying, you're gonna step down. We need to galvanize and build a movement. If we built a movement so strong and don't believe we can't because I believe in you and I certainly believe in me. I do not have my own children and I am choosing to sacrifice that. You know why? Because I believe I'm built to serve. That's why. And I believe service is at the core of all of our purpose on this earth. Just like Tim being a doctor, just like all of you doing what you're doing in your life. Okay? So this is what I'm here to tell you right now. We are building a movement a movement that will move forward in trusting that we as a collection of Americans can obtain some sort of harmony. And here's the thing, religion, race, whatever your beliefs, abortion put aside. This is what we have to say. One message. You ready? Here it is. We all get to choose what we want to do with our lives. Each and every over 330 million of us, the government in power, Supreme Court, Presidential Legislative Congress does not get to tell us what we could do with our bodies. We want you to, we put you up there in office. We want you to serve us all and do what we are asking you to do. But here's the deal. That far up, you will not tell everyone and women especially, they can't do what they want with their body. That's what we demand. That's what we're asking. How do we get it done, Richard? A movement. A right. movement. Let me, let me get Ken in here. Ken, go ahead. Um, yeah, well, there's only time for maybe one thing. I have several. But one thing is that 
litigation really has to be on the first and 13th amendments of the constitution, not only religious liberty, uh, but also the 13th amendment. The only difference between the two classes of disenfranchised people in 1787 was that the kidnapped people from Africa, uh, they were held in kind of slavery by title. What they're doing now is not quite that because you still can't rent or lease a woman and sell her, but they do want the right of possession by state legislation and federal too. So they, you know, being uh, possessed as an object, the right of possession is pretty much the right to do with your possessed object, whatever the hell you want to do with it. That's women and girls from the start of puberty to deep into or the end of menopause when they age out of being reproductive. Uh, So um, that's the 13th Amendment involved slave labor in the uterine field, uh, not to raise new crops of cotton, but new crops of babies. You can't do that. You can do it to sheep and cattle and so forth not to human cattle. That's a contradiction in terms. That's where litigation has to go. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, um, Ken. Let me get somebody who hasn't spoke yet. Um, Eugene, go ahead. Okay. Well, we're trying to do it from a different avenue. We are making movies. We started a whole new studio called Made to Order Movies. And what we do is we make movies that are solution films, a whole new genre. And we'll never run out of material because there's too many problems to be solved. (laughs) But we say it's more than a movie. And like Dom said, it's more than a movie. It's a movement. And it's not just a national movement. It's an international movement. So our studio is international. We have no borders and no walls. And we specialize in solution films. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Okay, Jeffrey, you're the last one. You get to say what you want to say there. Let's close, let's close, out, let's close out with the democracy idea. You know? I wanted to close out with it. So you use the hashtag stop stop democracy stop democracy to get to get a to get the message around. Okay. Thank you. Around. And um, don't forget if you want to join if you want to join the move, take part in the organization. The links in the chat. Links in the chat box. Thank you. I want to apologize for going over. I spent too much time on the first part of my speech, and I didn't really time it very well. I've been on vacation, and putting it together here. So, but I want to thank everybody for coming and um, we'll keep in touch and we'll send out some actions and other things, watch the hearings, talk to people about the hearings. I really think that democracy and building a pro-democracy movement is the only way to stop this assault on our rights. And I really believe that this is only the first few attacks on our rights that are coming. So we really need to build this movement together, understand the other side so that we can speak to them. And um, thank and thank you, Dom, for coming too. All right, thank, thank you, you everybody. everybody. Keep it up, this is great work. We're doing it, guys, keep going. Thank you. Bye yeah. now. Bye. Bye. For the last few years, I've had this sense that everything I learned as a kid about how America's government works is completely wrong but I had no idea how bad things actually were until I saw this one graph. Researchers at Princeton University looked at more than 20 years worth of data to answer a pretty simple question. Does the government represent the people? Now, this is what they found. 
This axis here represents public support for any given idea. On the left, at 0%, are ideas that not a single American wants. On the right, at 100%, are ideas that everyone supports. This axis represents the likelihood of Congress passing a law that reflects any of these ideas, from a 0 to a 100% chance. On this graph, an ideal republic would look like this. If 50% of the public supports an idea, there's a 50% chance of it becoming law. If 80% of us support something, there's an 80% chance. You get the idea. Now, most Americans would probably agree that, with a few exceptions, we should be as close to this ideal as possible. Unfortunately, the way America actually works doesn't even come close. Take an idea that nobody supports, literally nobody, and it has about a 30% chance of becoming federal law. Now, take an incredibly popular idea, the most popular idea this country has ever seen, and there's also about a 30% chance of it becoming law. This means that the number of American voters for or against any idea has no impact on the likelihood that Congress will make it law. Put another way, and I'm just going to quote the Princeton study directly here, the preferences of the average American appear to have only a minuscule, near zero, statistically non-significant impact upon public policy. So if you've ever felt like your opinion doesn't matter and that the government doesn't really care what you think, well, you're right. But there's a catch. This flat line only accounts for the bottom 90% of income earners in America. Economic elites, business interests, people who can afford lobbyists, they get their own line. Look at how much closer their line is to the ideal. When they want something, the government is much more likely to do it. And when they don't, they have the power to completely block it from happening, no matter how much the rest of the country supports it. They get what they want, and guess who ends up paying for it? We pay for it, with the most expensive healthcare in the world. We pay for it with a tax code that's a complete mess. We pay for it with internet that's slower and more expensive, with wasteful spending, a floundering education system, a catastrophic drug war, and one in five American children born into poverty. Almost every major issue we face as a nation can be traced back to this graph. How does this happen? Well, just follow the money. Right now, it's perfectly legal to buy political influence in America. Here's how it works. Let's say a big bank wants a law that would force taxpayers to bail them out again if they repeat the exact same reckless behavior that crashed the global economy in 2008. Not exactly the most popular idea with the public, and Congress knows that. That should be the end of it. But that's where the money comes in. It's perfectly legal for our bank to hire a team of lobbyists, whose entire job is to make sure that the government gives the bank what it wants. Then, those lobbyists can track down members of Congress who regulate banks and help raise a ton of money for their re-election campaigns. It's perfectly legal for those lobbyists to offer those same politicians million-dollar jobs at their lobbying firm. Then, those lobbyists can literally write the language of this new bailout law themselves and hand it off to the politician they just buttered up with campaign money and lucrative job offers. And it's perfectly legal for those politicians to take the lobbyist-written language and sneak it through Congress at the last second. So now you've got a law that greatly benefits the banks and the whole process can start over. This is how a bill becomes a law. A special interest hires some lobbyists, those lobbyists collect campaign contributions, offer jobs, and then write the laws that Congress then passes to help those same special interests. This happens every day on every single issue with politicians of both parties. 
In the last five years alone, the 200 most politically active companies in the United States spent $5.8 billion influencing your government. Those same companies got $4.4 trillion in taxpayer support. And that's trillion, with a T. And that's just the top 200 companies. Never mind every other special interest, every union, every trade association, and every billionaire. Every single one of them can use their money to buy political influence. You know, there's this idea out there that this only became a problem after the Supreme Court Citizens United decision in 2010. But the data goes back almost 40 years, and the results are clear. Corruption is legal in America. And as long as it is, anyone who can spend money to buy political influence will. The solution here isn't rocket science. Make corruption illegal. We already know Congress won't do it. I mean, one look at this chart will tell you that. What we need is a plan that lets us go around Congress and do what the American people do best. Fix this mess ourselves. Well, good news. We have that plan and it's already working. Now that we've got the problem covered, let us show you how to be part of the solution.